Hey Cameron. Yeah, Miles. Have you ever heard of Infinity Train? Well, I have heard the song Crazy Train by Black Sabbath. Is this related to that? No, but I find the music just as good. Hello, people of the internet. Welcome back to Inconceivable Media. I'm your host, Miles. And I'm Cam. And today we're going to talk about a little treat known as Infinity Train. Uh, it's kind of a cult favorite, and uh, I guess we're going to be continuing our dedication to emotional issues and psycho- uh, psychological trauma. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you asking yourself, what is this? Why do they keep bringing up these issues? I say, Infinity Train is a gem, and I don't want to talk about it right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But for real, Infinity Train is a show about a train that rides a barren landscape and has infinite train cars. Uh, This series is based on all sorts of different people, but each person gets their own season to themselves, which is kind of nice. Oh, okay. So... Well, I guess we'll talk about that when we get into spoilers. Okay, all right. Uh, I don't want to get into this too much, but we're only going to talk about the first season here. Now, before we get on to the spoilers, Cameron, I have to ask you, did you like this show? Yes, I did. This uh, felt very reminiscent of a similar uh, short-form series that uh, I watched a number of years ago. Oh, what the heck was it called? Over the Garden Wall? Oh, yes. I think you... Oh, yeah. Same, same uh, company made it, the Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. So... But I don't think it was the same creative minds that were behind it. Um, No, I don't think so. Um, it might use some similar directors and similar people, but not, but not entirely. Nec- okay, all right. A few in-house people, but not necessarily the same brains that brought... Anyways. Yes. uh, Yeah, so this very much reminded me of Over the Garden Wall, especially as the season was going on. Uh, The first two episodes, I'd say, kind of took a while for me to, like, really get it. But then by the time we got to the third episode, I, I was going, oh, yeah, I like this. I like this. So then I should ask you, do we talk about issues and trauma too much? I your hesitation says yes. <laughs> again, I don't necessarily know if that this was something that we went in planning. It just kind of happened that way, and I think we're just like-minded people enough that it just turns out that a lot of things that we really want to talk about also have to do with things that we don't we don't talk about enough. And that's why we're talking about it so much is because we don't talk about it enough. You're right. Instead of going to therapy, we decided we're just going to do a podcast, just like every sane man should. You know, honestly, the fact that, again, we are talking about it is what you would go to therapy for in the first place. So this is a form of therapy. (laughs) So what do you, the audience, think we should do about this? Uh, Do you think that we talk about issues and trauma too much? And should we just drop this subject? It's up to you. (laughs) But seriously, though, uh, would you like to watch more after you've seen this first season? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's interesting now with what you've said about how each season is going to seems to focus a little bit on different people. So now you saying that I'm sitting here going, all right, now I really do want to check out another season because I'm curious 
what they're going to cover next. Of course. Well, I'll let you know that uh, the show, uh, the, the following of the show is mad because it stops at the fourth book or season. They want more. After this first season, could you agree with them or disagree with them? Gee, this also seems to be a bit of a thing, Miles, in the stuff that we keep reviewing. <laughs> we review the first season of Final Space, and then, of course, as we were wrapping that up, it got cancelled for good. <laughs> um, we did Undone, which technically has a second season, but when that comes, who knows? And now we're doing this, and it got cancelled too. I think we need to find things that had a definite end... If we're going to talk about them <laughs> as I mean, and when I say definite end, I mean something like, you know, where we're reviewing uh, a show that very much had an end planned in sight. You know, like if we were reviewing Avatar. Gravity Falls. Or, yeah, actually, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll look into that. But uh, for now, we're going to head into some spoil- uh, spoiler territory. So cue up some of that 80s synth wave. Hmm. And some of that nice bew, 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 sound. I know they have other music, but <laughs> actually, like this is reminiscent of all synth waves, so. Welcome back, and let's get into the nitty-gritty about this amazing epilogue. Oh, so we're just going to jump right to the end of the story then? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. We'll we'll get there quickly in in due time. So the first season focuses on our antagonist, our protagonist, uh, Tulip Olson, a girl struggling with her parents' divorce. She's accompanied by a small, confused robot named One One, and Atticus, the ruler of the kingdom of talking corgis. Of Corginia. 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 We've got to remember that. He's a proud man. Yes, he is. <laughs> a good, proud man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it is revealed that the issue of dealing with her parents' divorce uh, is kind of the... Which is kind of obvious from the beginning, but important nonetheless... Uh, it plays a pretty large role. Yeah. Uh, she eventually gets to a cart where she meets her reflection and frees it, finds a cat that she found in the first part that originally tried to take one one, but ends up working alongside the cat to uh, help get sort of realize that she has these issues with her parents' divorce and also how to beat the uh, false conductor, I guess you could say. Mm, right, right, right. And of course, it wraps itself up nice and clean at the very end, where one one is reinstated as the original conductor, and she gets to go home. And she doesn't have a reflection either. Yes, it's actually one of my favorite parts about it. Um, I feel like you you neglected to mention how important numbers are in this. Yes, uh, the passengers have numbers on their hand that glow sort of like a green neon light, like you'd see on a uh, neon sign, like an open sign. Uh, They have this glowing on the palm of their hand, and that number states how far away they are from coming to terms with their big issue or their mm -hmm. fault, I guess you could say. Yeah. And... 
in order to leave the train, that number has to go to zero when they realize and they're able to continue on without this issue or fault impeding them anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot I want to talk about this, actually. Uh, it is. So I, let's go ahead and dive into this. Yeah, I, I just wanted to quickly say that it is kind of interesting where when she first gets on the train, she sees what is actually the exit and it sucks a person out. And so you're thinking, oh, goodness, is that what happens if you fail at your task or whatever? And then, of course, turns out as the or at least the way she processes that. And then, of course at the end of the season when she gets to go home it's the same corridor and everything the train stops and uh the the portal opens up and she gets to walk through it and it turns out nope that's how you actually get off the train in the good way yes it might look kind of scary but then when you actually get to do it then you're like oh okay this isn't so bad now one thing that i've really noticed about this um in the book of Dianetics, written by everybody's least favorite author, L. Ron Hubbard, you betcha. Uh, believe it or not, it kind of actually follows this whole ideology just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, with Dianetics, if you have somebody who has suffered a serious trauma or they have a serious issue, you can actually help them get over it by putting them in a state where they can relive that experience that hurt them or they don't understand and they repeat it over and over and over until it loses its edge. Mm-hmm. And then that in turn should allow them to move forward from it without actually being as damaged as they were. So Elrond Hubbard actually proposed this and brought it forward showing, hey, look, we can actually help people instead of using drugs in that. Uh, and, you know... You don't always need to use drugs. Sometimes you do, but not all the time. Uh, We could help people and get people over these issues quickly, effectively, and turn them into, you know, civilized human beings, I guess you could say, you know, uh, neurotypical is the term I guess I should use. Right. Um, People. And And the story goes, they were unimpressed (laughs) by this because it didn't make them money and it pissed off all of the uh, big pharma companies. So he turned it into what we now know today as Scientology, Scientology. The, the supposed cult. Which, of course, the other funny thing about that is that he did that so that he could make it money. Because the whole thing with Scientology is that it makes stupid amounts of money. Yes. So, I mean, they it did is kind a, of I mean, borrow it. Is a religion, they kind so, of borrowed yeah. that idea. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. But I find it really interesting how, like, they kind of brought this forward, showed it, they're doing their own thing with it. Well, well, the interesting thing about that is that research like that is there. You know, you go out and you publish your books and things like that. And so that means that it's all there's a public record of it that other researchers and academics and psychologists, psychiatrists um, can look at over the years and then they can reincorporate it or they can, you know, play around with it a little bit more. So that type of associative, disassociative therapy, that's a method of, you know, is a way to approach dealing with trauma. There are many different ways to approach dealing with trauma, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And so uh, just because maybe his specific methods didn't work at the time, then they got changed up a little bit and reassessed. And that is something that is done. Again, it's this interesting thing because, you know, I read Dianetics too. (laughs) 
<laughs> when I, I was that. in, well, I, I think that was when I was in high school or something. I don't know. I was on a kick where I just wanted to read his books because I found them entertaining in that pulpy style. Uh, and then, of course, it was as I read more and more of his books that I started to realize that they were also kind of uh, disturbing in a way for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I found out about Dianetics and I read a couple of those books. I read like his original treatise and everything, and I found it quite fascinating. And then, of course, when I was doing some psychology stuff one before I decided to become just a musician, I, again, was kind of noticing that, oh, well, look at that. There are, you know, footprints here. I mean, you don't just dismiss something immediately um, if there is something to be gained from it. Maybe you might question the ways and how it came about. Sort of like how I remember reading somewhere that <clears throat> while there wasn't a whole lot of actual information to be taken from the Nazi scientists in their... Uh, inhumane experiments that they were doing at concentration camps, certain things like when it came to hypothermia and frostbite and, you know, learning how to treat those, while they didn't necessarily use the information that they found from just, you know, throwing people out into the snow because their scientific controls were very lacking. And so their hypotheses and everything like that, they couldn't really use the actual research because it was very flawed. But the ideas in themselves, they were like, now, wait a minute. Perhaps if we actually do a proper experiment with all the controls and everything in place, maybe we can get similar results and maybe we can actually get useful information out of this, which they did. So would that have necessarily happened had those horrible things not happened? Who's to say? This is a very weird tangent that I've gone on to outside of just to say that it's not you know, necessarily like this came from a bad place and therefore that means that we should just throw it away. Of course, yes. <laughs> but like I said, I'm just drawing to the similarity that I've uh, seen from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Of course not. So, how did you feel about the story overall? One Overall, again, really liked it because it it's very, very similar to what happened in Over the Garden Wall, except in this case, instead of it being, you know, frustrations with your siblings, instead it's frustrations with your parents, because you're an only child, and so therefore that's pretty much all you have. Um, And it was, it's good to see this stuff with kids and, like, teenagers, because, as we both remember, when we were teenagers... We thought no one else could really relate to us and we just kind of wanted to do things ourselves and we didn't really want to ask for help. So it's good to have things like this where we do get to sit down and say, yes, talk to other people. They're older. They probably went through this or they knew somebody who went through this. So you can get help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Of course. Whether that has to do with... That's that's definitely something that Tulip was actually faced with uh, by her reflection herself. Mm hmm. Yeah, right. Because it's the reflection that keeps talking about is, you know, pointing out to her, you keep doing all of these things, and you never ask for help. And you know, I want to make different choices because your choices suck. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> is basically what she says. <laughs> I mean, can you blame her? I No, I mean, no, I don't blame the reflection for acting the way it did. 
in that instance because as the reflection was saying it's trapped and it can't make choices it can't make its own decisions and therefore that sucks when you don't agree with the decisions of what the person that is in a way forcing you to do these things is doing so when uh, we'll get into that later but yes uh, so would you ever take anything away from this story? I don't think I would because, um, well, you know, I almost feel like <laughs> this seems odd to say cause it's already a pretty short series since it's only 10 episodes and they're only 11 minutes each, but I, honestly sort of feel like maybe one or two of the episodes could have been taken out and then it would have been a lot more efficient in terms of telling the story um but i do also say that that could also make it really dour and just not as much fun as it ended up being you know it's this whole thing about how when you have a couple extra episodes you can have uh, a little bit of downtime, a little bit of time to breathe and just relax a little bit. And so everything's not always, you know, it's the end of the world. We need to solve this issue by the end of 40 minutes sort of thing or by the end of the season. <laughs> by um, the end of book four, you have to defeat the Fire Lord Rosan. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, and that's a good example. You know, a lot of complaints I remember that even I had about Legend of Korra is that it didn't have those uh, extra episodes where we got to get actual character growth and see these people when they're not, you know, faced with uh, a crisis. Um, so it's funny because I sit there and I say, you could theoretically take away one or two episodes from this and have more focus on the actual story. Um, but at the same time, I don't... I think it would be missing something if you then did that. That's very true. I, I agree with you. I think it's a, a perfect story. It uh, follows all of the arcs of creator of Rick and Morty. Which one is in Dan Harmon Dan or yes, Dan Harmon's uh, okay. circle? Oh, oh, right. That okay. That thing, right? Yes, I think it's a perfect re representation of it. But let's go on about characters right now. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about Tulip Olson. Uh, she's voiced by Ashley Johnson. She's a twelve-year-old passenger who originally, as we saw, was trying to get to video game camp, uh, and then she got brought aboard the train, and now she's just trying to find her way home. Now, obviously, her parents have had a divorce, and this had a huge impact on her life. Uh, such an impact that the train decided she needed to work on this. Do you think she's a likable character? Yeah. Um, she starts out not exactly the most agreeable, which I get, because, okay, so she's 12, so she's not a teenager yet, but she effectively acts like one. And... Uh, although perhaps that might also be with the fact that since her parents are divorced, things like that sometimes cause you to mature a little bit quicker or grow up a little bit faster because you don't have the time to really process because it happens. 
your parents divorce, a parent dies, um, a parent has to move away for work or the entire family has to move away for work. And you just, just like that, you don't have time to really process it. And therefore quickly you have to go through some kind of change. And therefore sometimes it's harder to relate with other people because they haven't gone through the same thing. And you yourself don't truly understand what is happening as well. Okay. Good thing so we you, have an infinity train to help us do that. So you you think she's a likable character? Yeah. Even I, though she eats onions like apples. I mean, that part was weird, but whatever. I mean, well, could, if she likes onions that much, fine. Well, could you be wrong about that? About what? That that makes her a bad person because she eats onions instead of apples? I'm just digging. Okay. <laughs> well, let's move on here. Uh, let's talk about One One. So One One's actually a very interesting character because he's voiced by two separate people. Mm -hmm. uh, he's voiced by Jeremy uh, Crutchley? Crutchley, who is known as the Glad One, or One. And uh, he's also voiced by Owen Dennis, known as Sad One. Isn't Owen Dennis one of the writers or something for the show? Yes, he is ah. the writer. Oh, okay. So for those of you who didn't bother watching the show, which I'm a little ashamed, uh, <laughs> one is a white spherical robot companion to Tulip who is trying to find his mom, who ends up being the train controls itself. Um, which means that he's the actual conductor. Yes. So does this companion remind you of anybody? I feel like it should, but... It's not anything that, I mean, I feel that there are certain aspects that are familiar and then there's the whole switching back and forth between happy and sad and then I'm sitting there going, oh, when he's sad, he's kind of like uh, the robot from Hitchhiker Guide, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, Mervyn. Yes, Mervyn the, what is it, the the sad, no, that's not. Yeah. Just Mervin. <laughs> Just Mervin. <laughs> he is who he is. Um, Did you enjoy this uh, glad, sad personality swapping? Yes, I did. Because it seemed appropriate to have a literal dichotomy between uh, manic and depressive. Um, and to have it just literally switch back and forth. Um, it seemed very appropriate considering the whole point of the of this show of this season is to be talking about mental illness and the like. <laughs> very much so. Uh, did you ever think that he was the train conductor? Like up I, until the end. Honestly, I had no idea what his deal was. I, 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 I had no idea what the heck to think of him. I just thought, so I think maybe around, oh, I guess when they meet Atticus and then they find out about the, um, thanks. when they find out about the, the spheres and everything that have the, that have the power in them. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if his mom is going to be maybe some kind of like a, a mainframe or something like that. And for whatever reason, and maybe he's one of many that are also like that um and it just so happens that perhaps his whole thing is that he's like a, a caretaker 
or uh, a maintenance thing for the train. And that's why he can move around and he can separate. Um, so he's tasked with all of these other ones that just roam the train. And since it's an infinitely long train, that would mean that there would have to be more of them. That was what I thought. And one one being that he was the first one. Yes, makes sense. And, I mean, I'm not too far off with the fact that it turns out that he is the conductor for the train. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was what I thought until we got to the end. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, okay, yeah, that works too. So let's talk about another character here, uh, Atticus. Uh, Atticus. So Atticus is voiced by Ernie Hudson. Ernie mm-hmm. Hudson, blah, blah, blah. He is the king of, of Corgonia. And is a golden corgi, whom has a crown on his head. He journeys with Tulip to remove the beast that threatens his land, which mm-hmm. ends up being the steward. Yep. So, what kind of character do you think Atticus is? Like, he's, what do you think of his character, I should say? Well, he's very... Um, so, this uh, is actually an example of one of the things where they did it in the episode that he was introduced, and... I understand why they did it because he's a dog. They did the whole, you want to come outside? You want to go outside? And then you want to come with us? You want to come with us? And those were one of the ones of those times where I sat there and I said, I get it. It's because he's a dog. And then they did it twice. And I said, okay, you didn't need to do that twice. I understand why they did it because they need to have a little bit of levity. But that was one of those points where I sat there and I said, you could take that out and I wouldn't mind because they still had plenty of other doggy things that were happening. It felt a little too much little too overindulgent in my opinion um i mean that that's you just sound a, like you've never seen a dog before I have, dogs love to overindulge <laughs> i mean take a look at my old my uh, old pup coda she would eat till she puked and then she'd keep eating <laughs> i don't think i ever noticed that but uh, she was pretty old when you met her so <laughs> i mean i i noticed her doing a whole lot of other things but i don't i don't think i ever actually saw her eat so i would i would not have known about that um so with that in mind, I see that, you know, Atticus is a good boy. And of course, he's a good man, as he says at the end of the show. And just with that, including all the dog mannerisms that happen, it's just kind of nice to have, you know, he's not dumb, but he's very focused and... Not simple, but just driven. You know, he has a goal, and then he's just going to do that and tries to not really get distracted and just focus on the one thing. Which is kind of nice because it helps keep the flow going for for the rest of the story. I also did just find it hilarious with the fact that, you know, you have a kingdom of corgis. Every the internet the, the internet's dog. favorite the internet's favorite dog according then the one dog that was considered the ugly one is the most glorious <laughs> of them all wow but he's cor- not a corgi so. he's not a corgi that's why <laughs> very much like the romans and their ideologies that everybody who didn't speak latin was a barbarian yep, right including the egyptians mm-hmm. so you heard it here the romans looked at <laughs> egyptians as barbarians joy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to another character here. Uh, let's talk about the cat, who I'm going to give a name because I don't want to say cat all the time. Samantha. 
So does she ever actually have a real name, or is she literally just... You'll have to find that out. Uh, She's voiced by Kate... Mulgrew? Mulgrew, Uh, yes. Mulgrew. Uh, She is a selfish antagonist of Tulip, who is only characterized by her shrewd business prowess. Uh, Captain th- Captain Janeway when she hasn't had her coffee. You don't watch Star Trek, so you don't get. That. I know. No, I get it. I oh. get it. I've I've seen memes. I understand. So, do you think she can be trusted even after book one? Mm, uh, trust is not the right word that I would use for her at all because she seems to switch sides whenever it best suits her. So I would not trust her. Okay. Uh, would you... Are you saying this because she speaks French? No. I'm saying that because I am judging her based off of the actions that she takes throughout the season. <laughs> she always, She's always out for herself. And of course, so is Tulip. Um, but Tulip changes in that way. Uh, Tulip very quickly after interacting with Samantha the first time, she quickly realizes that, oh no, she shouldn't just, you know, betray her friends like that or just abandon people that somewhat depend on her just because that won't help her pursue her own goals as opposed to Samantha who does not care. Yes. She is a cat after all. Or is she? I I mean she She talks. Do cats talk? Uh your cats don't talk, Miles. Yes they do, all the time. Well You hear it all the time. They're always meowing at me. They're always telling me I'm doing wrong and that I need to do better. Well, okay, maybe that's what they're saying to you. I'm just hearing them and I'm just going, What? I don't live here. Leave me alone. <laughs> so uh let's move on to the next character, uh Tulip's Reflection, who does get a name later on. Uh, she's also voiced by Ashley Johnson, which I think was a great take. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. It's so, your reflection. <laughs> so Tulip meets her reflection in the Prime world, which is all about reflections. And then she helps Prime escape and then lets her kind of go on and do her own thing, which was actually very selfless of her. Yep. Now, I'm going to call her TR for short. Uh, what do you think reflection. about? <laughs> yeah, what do you think about this character? Like for the brief little bit that you've seen of her. Of her. Well, as I was talking about before, um, I like episodes where they do things like this, where you do kind of get to split off your personality um, because it gives. It's a nice way to, I guess, force you to address your own shortcomings. Um, so in a way, TR is not very different from Tulip with the fact that she just wants to get out of her car and she wants to go out and she wants to experience the world because she's been cooped up and she's been trapped for her entire existence because she has existed as long as Tulip has because she's her reflection. And so with that in mind, she is still selfish as well. And it's only by them coming together and agreeing to help each other that we notice a personality shift with both of them where they are now nicer to everybody and they are less selfish. Okay, it makes sense. So you like this character? You think it's a, it was a good choice to add her in? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't really get to see her much after that because they, what was it? The next episode, they are still together, but then they just immediately break off, don't they? Yes, because she doesn't want to follow Tulip anymore. She wants to do her own thing. Yeah. So this kind of leads me into the next thing there. TR was made into sort of a trans icon due to events that have happened there and Uh later on. And we will discuss this when we come across them. But just know that right now that she does go by her she pronouns. Oh, okay. Uh, Also, the writer did not write her to be a transgender non-binary icon. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote her with... uh, with other things in mind of like growing as a person and being your own person, which does kind of align with the whole movement. Yeah. So it's not that he's saying that like, no, I'm not doing this for you. It's more of like, look, you're being very narrow minded about what I'm trying to present with this character. That's, Uh, that's interesting that that is their, the, their, their interpretation of that, because I would sit there and I would think, honestly, fine. You know, sounds like if that's what you see out of her, because it's sort of like this kind of reminds me of what we talked about when we were when we watched Alita and you had said, well, that's kind of interesting in that Alita has now turned into kind of a a trans metaphor because she's not in her own body. And then when she is put into a body that she does identify with and can mold into what she actually thinks of herself. That is definitely what was intended in the original manga because she actually gets a bunch of body upgrades as the series goes on. But, you know, that that's just kind of that power creep thing that ends up happening in a lot of those stories. Yeah. Um, but she's always kind of more, you know, I have a warrior spirit and therefore I always need to be in a warrior's body. And so if I'm going to get a new body, then it needs to match with my spirit. And so everything is kind of dedicated towards that. You're right. Alita is a warrior. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea of it being good for trans representation, that never occurred to me until you, you know, said that. And I guarantee you that probably wasn't necessarily on the minds of any of the creative forces for any part of the franchise. And I don't feel that any of them would be like, well, we didn't mean it that way. So you can't take her away. You can't make her a trans icon. (laughs) I feel that that would be very foolish because it'd just be like, awesome. If that's a way that you can identify with my character, that's great. If that helps you as a person, that's great. As said by the author of Roadside Picnic. One book read a thousand times is a thousand different books. Exactly. Yes. So uh, let's move on a little bit more here to The Stewart, voiced by Ashley Johnson. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Voiced by? Yes. She actually does have a voice in the first season. Okay. Oh, oh, yes, right. The Stewart, the uh, the white face mask. Octopus, uh, yeah, 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 right. Where Squiddy she, from the Matrix thing. Doesn't she literally only say like "Please return to your seat" or something like she that? She says a couple lines. Okay, but uh, I, I "Please return to your one. seat" was one of them, yeah. and then "Where is the passenger?" Ah, uh, uh, okay. I I guess she didn't say enough 
to actually like bring on a whole new person. So they're just like, Ashley, you're doing a few of these characters already. Here's one more. Yeah. I mean, that's not a bad idea. And it was probably cheaper to ask her to do that than it would have been for some of the other people that they have in the cast. Yeah. Who I guess we'll get to later on. So, uh, I guess my first question about this is, uh, with this character, do you still feel that this is a kid's show? Uh, I do. Um, I mean, again, going back to what I immediately think of as a comparable show with Over the Garden Wall, there's a lot of pretty dark things that happen in that show, too, and it's still, like, kind of an all-ages story. That's very true. So the one thing that really attracted me to your podcast was actually Over the Garden Wall. Uh, I yes. actually <laughs> super enjoy that movie. I have a, a physical copy of it, or the show. I call it a movie because you might as well watch it as one. Right. Uh, it's two and a half hours long, and if you took out the intro and the outro, right, yeah, it for each be, individual episode, it would just be a movie. It would literally be a long, like a, a little bit of a longer movie, but still a good movie nonetheless. Dang, maybe they should do something like that, sort of like with the Futurama movies, how each movie is a movie, but they were edited in such a way so that they could cut them up into individual episodes so that they could have an entire season. And when you watch it in syndication, like if you're watching Futurama on Disney+, Plus, they will break it up into the individual episodes, which is really weird to me because I only ever watch them as the films. Yeah. <laughs> So suddenly, it, like, they have this, oh, no, what will happen next week? And then we come back next week. This is what happened last week. And I'm sitting there going, but I literally just watched that because I'm just going from one episode to the next. Damn it, I'm binging this. <laughs> Don't tell me what I saw two seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, what do you think about this villain? Um, Since it turns out that I guess she is the, she's not the dragon. She is, you know, the the boss before the final boss, right? And works very well in that instance. She, um, keep, I keep saying she, which I suppose makes sense. <laughs> Technically, of, you are wrong. I know. It is genderless. Yes. Like, yes, you are, you are correct. It, it's just a robot. It's, it's outwardly, it's outward appearance and everything is using, I guess, f feminine qualities but it's not. So you think women have long tentacles and uh, just a face? No. <laughs> I know that they... <laughs> you heard it here, everybody. Cameron thinks women are just faces with tentacles. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I really like the Stuart um, because it, it it is kind of nice, again, to have that that thing that can't really be reasoned with because um, as a program, you can't reason with it outside of interacting with it in that way. So there's not anything you can do except run away from it. Makes sense. Which seems to really be a thing these days in like video games and horror things where you just have that, well, okay, maybe not recently. Maybe I just feel that way because... For the past 10 years in Resident Evil, it seems that every single game has always had an enemy like this that you can't defeat. You just have to get away from it until you meet the final, final boss and then you kill it. 
Yeah, that's what I liked about Stalker. It never really had that, other than the fact that you will never defeat the zone. Well, it's sure, just, and that's just the you, environment, you right? To, you just try to coexist with it and defeat whatever it throws at you. Sure, it's like Silent Hill in that way, right? Oh, you know, yeah. you're. It is not. Um, well, I guess that's another good example with Pyramid Head. Um, so I guess that is why I like the Stuart because the Stuart works quite well in that horror sense of you can't reason with this, you just need to get away. Yes. Let's move on to the next character, Amelia Hughes, who is voiced by uh, Lena Headley. Hedy. Hedy. <laughs> uh, she is the true villain of the book one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's trying to build a world where she can have her late husband in. She is in her late 60s and has been in this universe for a long time. I did not realize that she was that old. Now, how did you feel when she showed that the numbers went all the way up to her neck? I felt that that made sense. As soon as she said, as soon as she started talking about, I can't, I can't change myself. I can't, I will never be able to escape. And I sat there and I was like, yeah. Considering all the things that she's done, her number has probably just kept going up. And so then, of course, yeah, where you see that she, oh, man, probably um, N to or 10 to the power of like 100 or something is how big her number is. Some inexplicably huge number that will take another lifetime, I'll bet, for her to get it back down to zero because I bet... When she first got on the train, her number was pretty similar to Tulip's, probably in the hundreds. So Pretty reasonable to come back from that. Do you think she'll ever be able to leave the train? Um, I guess I should also add on there, do you think people can die on the train? Well, and that's the thing, right? Um, I don't know how time is passing on the train i know that tulip makes a comment that she seems to think that time is passing in real time which was not the case in over the garden wall for example um that was very much even though everything did happen it was in its own separate time bubble because once they got back out it was like literally a couple minutes after they had gone in um, whereas here, Tulip makes comment towards the end of the series about how I can finally go home. And then I think it's one, one who says, what do you mean go home? Don't you want to go to, uh, don't you want to go to your camp? And then she said, well, I do, but it's over now. So she seems to think that time is passing normally, but we don't really know that. But then again, maybe it is because Amelia is definitely aged from when she first got on the train okay now what do you think her number says to other passengers the fact that it goes up so high um i feel that that would be a good lesson to the other passengers to realize that yeah maybe don't act this way (laughs) maybe it's better to be a good person and not do these things that are going to keep you here forever because your number just keeps going up because you keep making horrible choices. You're in for a couple of interesting seasons then. Okay. (laughs) 
I look forward to uh, watching someone just continue to step on rakes the entire time and their uh, their number just continues to grow up their arm. Now, um, let's move on to music here. <laughs> do you like the synthwave music and sound effects that they use in this? I do. This sound, this to me was actually very reminiscent of like 80s and 90s Saturday morning cartoons. Listening to listening to this, I just sat there and was thinking, oh man, it's like I'm watching, you know, Transformers or uh, similar sci-fi shows. And they're just using, especially again for 80s where synth was all the rage. So everything had synth in it. And so I'm just sitting there going, yep. This sounds but it very took, familiar and very comfortable. But it took more than two decades for them to come up with Star Wars Revenge of the Synth. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that one. So, uh, <laughs> carrying on about the music. Uh, I think they did this on purpose to make sure that parents, while they're able to watch it, ah. at least... Right. You know, it, it clicks that nostalgia nerve without actually forcing them to relive nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more enjoyable for them, so not that, just their kids. Well, that makes sense to me also because of the fact that that's the way cycles work. Things that were retro when we were growing up in the 90s and the 2000s was partly for nostalgia reasons because our parents they those things would have been first introduced or something when they would have been our age and so then all of a sudden we're old enough and we start you know paying closer attention to things that our parents may have watched or whatever or our parents are now old enough that they're the ones that are in charge of making decisions for media representation or just uh you know making new fads or whatever in the fashion industry for an example for thinking about clothes and so the same thing goes with music so it's not that things are just endlessly repeating it's more that in the terms of you want to make money and you want to be in the zeitgeist then you need to do something that is just going to trigger your nostalgia, and then you'll just want to continue listening to it because it's familiar and it's safe in a way. Of course. Makes sense. And I guess if that... It's part of the whole uh, conservationist ideology, the cycles. I never really thought about that before, although that makes sense. Yeah, that's a part of it. Everything (laughs) is on a cycle, and that's one of the cycles. It pops up and it disappears, and then something else pops up and takes its place. Yep. And it just kind of helps that cycle along. Yeah. But we've got to be careful because if we get that cycle too radical, then, of course... Things just, what, fall off? The, yeah, the wheels gets, fall off the gets, car? It gets blown out of proportion and then it oh, disappears okay. for a long time. And then people feel left out and that mm. causes more issues elsewhere. Right. Right. That's a That, too, is a good point. Um, so, I mean, if this is another way to just, again, get more eyes on the series then that's not a bad thing because you want exposure of course you want people to watch this so if you're it's not necessarily that you're doing it to deliberately hook people but it's one of those things that you can look to and say we will use this to our advantage to try to get people in and maybe because they hear something familiar 
they will want to talk more about, or they will then focus on what actually happened in the show. Mm-hmm. So let's take a quick jump into the cinematography. Uh, mm. What do you think about the art style of the show? Um, it was good. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I liked this because it felt more of what I am used to seeing when it comes to cartoons in the sense that I personally am not a huge fan of what some people have referred to as the Cal arts style, um, which I think kind of started with Adventure Time, where it's super simplistic, not childlike, but very much we're not trying to have like, you know, actual proportions or, you know, look like actual people. We're just going to try to do these things really simply so that it's easy to draw. Therefore, it's cheap to make. And therefore, like, everything is just cheaper. But we can also use it to be highly expressive because of the fact that we're not stuck on to the... We're not, we're not stuck in the structure of this is a person's actual face. We can't just have their face turned into jelly because we're trying to make this look as close to a real person as possible without spending the money. Yes. Yes. That, yes, that too. Um, so personally I liked this because of the fact that it's not that it was a rejection of that style, but it was more of a return to, we're going to have people look like actual people. Yes. Tulip is going to look like a girl. Tulip's parents are going to look like grown-ups. Amelia is going to look like a grown-up who is way is who is very old. The dogs look like dogs. Cat looks like a cat. Although the funky thing with her technically having an opposable thumb. So, like I said, she wasn't actually a cat. Yeah. The ducks have crossed eyes. See, that's this the is, important thing. Yeah, see, this is what I was wondering if that's what you meant when you said, is she really a cat? And I was like, do I want to talk about that? No, I don't. We'll talk about that in later <laughs> seasons. Yeah, I presume that you don't just get someone like Kate Mulgrew on for a one and done. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> when, you, when you introduce them, it's a lot like getting uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as a dragon. You know, you got to oh, pay yeah. them the money, not to turn them into a cat, but to like make them come back to being a human. Right. Or in... Because the... they, they're just going to want to stay like that because life is just easier. Yeah. Or with um, David Tennant as the Lord Commander in Final Space, right? Oh, who wouldn't want to stay as the Lord Commander? Christ, he had everything going for him other than the fact that he lost. <laughs> and died? Well, I mean... Did he? I haven't actually watched the third season yet, so I guess I'm going to see. <laughs> well, we'll get into there eventually. But right now we're <laughs> going to continue talking about uh, Infinity Train. Yeah. So... so let's talk about the direction and sort of the... Uh, like the pacing? The pacing of the show. Let's let's do it both kind of together here. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think the direction's uh, frayed a little too much? Or do you think it was a very nice straight line? Um, I would say that overall, it didn't branch off very much. Um, so when I was saying at the beginning about how you could have taken out a couple episodes or very much just kind of like really cut some of them right down to the bone, 
when they start each episode and they're just coming through a random train car or whatever, that's what I mean. I know it's called Infinity Train. You're going to keep going through cars to get to the front. You're going to keep going through random things. We don't need to see every single one that you go through because I get it. Um, so like, for example, going into the car with all the ducks that have crossed eyes, we don't need to spend 11 minutes there. It's a funny thing. We'll go through and then we'll just kind of move on. It's kind of like in, uh, in Inside Out when they're traveling through Riley's consciousness and then they get to, oh shoot, I can't remember which point it was. I think she, they go to like her subconscious or something like that and they just turn into like really weird impressionist paintings or something like that to represent her creativity or something like that and again it's only like a maybe 30 second gag or something so I like those because again it still establishes that yes time is continuing to go on from one episode to the next but we don't need to see the insides of every single car that they go through so things like that are why I say I feel you could have truncated this a little bit and made it a little bit tighter. But again, I do also feel that you would lose that levity that you get when you have the the character building episodes that are just kind of, you know, thrown in to give you that breathing room where you're just kind of like, whoo, oh. Oh, I can take a relax. I can just whew, calm down for a little bit. And, you know, I the world is not ending immediately. Of course it's not. The train goes on forever. Well. The world has already been destroyed. The train is all that's left. Or, what? Well, you haven't seen uh, the, uh, well, what was that movie called? The Snowpiercer? No, actually, I haven't. Oh, we're going to have to throw that on the list. That one is the greatest sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory ever. I mean, I know about Snowpiercer. I've heard I've heard about it and things like that, but I have not seen it yet. Excellent. We'll get on to that eventually. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, talk about, you know, you say that the show flowed fairly well. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about them using 11 minute segments instead of like the full 22 or 25 minute ones that most shows do? So I feel that perhaps this was also something that they thought of. Hmm. I mean, this is a Cartoon Network show, so I have a feeling that they had two options, which was you are going to do full half hours or you're going to do 11 minute, like, you know, half episodes. Um, And, you know, that may or may not change how many episodes you get for the season and I felt maybe that they were just like well you know there are lots of shows that have they can get a lot done with very little so if we stick with the 11 minute uh, time frame that means that everything is going to be very um, you know we're going to have the the episode is going to be focusing on something that our characters are going to have to learn and it's going to have to be something that happens really quick And I mean, this is good because this happens a lot in shows. You know, most children's shows, for example, they have an A and a B that are separate stories. They very often do not have 
an entire half hour or hour long episode that is just about one specific thing. Um, so honestly, this flowed really nicely and it was very easily digestible because of that. And it also means that you can tighten things up and it doesn't drag. So something that you're kind of wrong about with this. Oh, is, really? Uh, Cartoon Network doesn't give them the option to do a 15 minute or half an hour block. Really? Yes. They, they have to come in and make that choice? 15 minute blocks. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, This has actually okay. been for quite a while. Uh, oh. Adventure Time is one of the first ones to start it. But if you take a look at newer shows like Craig of the Creek, Infinity Train, mm -hmm. uh, Teen Titans Go, all of these other shows that they've created. Mm -hmm. um, what's that other one? Um, somebody in the the Emerald Crystals. Oh, Steven Universe? Steven Universe, yes. All of these shows are 15-minute intervals. Oh, okay. Now, the reasoning behind this, uh, if I'm correct in my research, is the fact that they realize kids kind of have shorter retention spans and mm -hmm. they don't want to have to take a show, split into two halves and have a commercial in between it. Mm, okay. And they especially don't want to do that three times. Right. So what they do is they have their 11 minute block. Mm -hmm. They show you some, com some commercials and then they're going to show you another 11 minute block after that. Okay. Now, Cartoon Network's formula is that they generally will show you two episodes of the same show in a row, separated by one commercial. Uh, I mean, even over the garden wall, same yep. thing. Yep. They are 11-minute intervals, and they are separated by a commercial. You get your part one, mm -hmm. commercial part two. It's all the same idea. Uh, okay. They find that this works really well on holding kids' attention and driving things forward, but at the same time gives them enough of a break of a, I guess you call it a recess in between the commercials and that. To uh, continue the story and allow it to allow it to at least stick in. Well, that's interesting. Enjoyable. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize that that was the actual uh, reasoning behind it. I mean, I understand that for mm, stuff that is for kids. Uh, you know, when we would have been growing up, we would have had stuff like Arthur, Franklin, Little Bear. Um, uh, uh, what the heck was it? The, the Wonderful World of Richard Scary, I think it was. Busy Town. Tintin? Uh, Tintin. No, 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 no. Tintin, no. Tintin wasn't part of that. Tintin did the opposite, or which was very weird, where they had hour-long episodes, but they cut them in half. Mm -hmm. So you got a half hour, and then you came back the next week, and you got to see the other half of the story in a second half hour. But that's different because Tintin is not necessarily something that's made for kids, even though no. they market it towards kids. I enjoy Tintin a lot more than oh, yeah. all those others. Well, I that's really like Tintin, too. Tintin was a blast. Um, but most Are you of... saying that because they use guns? <laughs> no, I mean that because it was a really it was fun... dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had that quite a they had that a few times in the show too. But no no. Um yeah, I I just think of all of the shows that would have been for younger audiences were uh you might have a half hour block and so then it was developed as a as a as a as an A and a B. Um but I guess now they've changed that to just being you are just gonna make 20 half-hour segments or 20 15 11 minute segments 
and maybe we might air them two at a time, maybe we might do them one at a time. Um, because definitely I remember it being you had an episode that had two parts, so you didn't have to replay like the outro and the intro because it was all self-contained as part of the same episode. And that, I think, is what's changed, where it's just like, nope, we're just cutting them in two. Those are two separate episodes, on, and that probably saves Cartoon Network money as well, because that means that they just say, we're ordering 20 episodes. Oh, okay, great. That means we need to come up with, you know, 40 episodes, or 40 stories or whatever to tell. No, you have 20 episodes. Each of them is only going to fill up a 15-minute block. We yep. might air two of them at the same time, which means that that might turn into only 10 for the year, for the season, but you're only doing 20. Yep. Nope. Makes sense. But uh, I'd say that they did a really good job with having to stick to this formula. Yes. Like I said, it's really tight. It doesn't really drag. So again, even with my whole saying that you could cut it even further, part of that probably has more to do with me watching stuff on Netflix and Amazon and things like that, which are going for a certain tone, and therefore they do not have a lot of bit of levity. Undone is a very good example of this. For every little bit of levity that it has in there, it really does not have a lot of downtime for you to like actually relax a little bit. Which kind of makes sense considering what the whole point of the show was. Yes. So um, <laughs> basically we ran through everything here. What was one thing that you really liked about the show and one thing you really didn't like? Um, one thing that I... Um, hmm. Mm. That is... You know what? Let's not even say like or dislike. Okay. What's one thing you remembered? Mm-hmm. And one thing that you wish you didn't? <laughs> Again... The overindulgence when it came to introducing Atticus and how relentless they were with, yes, he's a dog. That was something that to me just kind of went, yes, I get it. He's a dog. Let's move on. <laughs> um, but we did find out that he wasn't. Right. And so the fact that they still had that comeback periodically, like maybe they would do that once an episode, was fine. So like when they were doing the reflection and he keeps barking at his reflection because he's a dog. They only did that the one time. Yep. Um, and even then they flipped it on Ted when they were on the inside and he's like, I'm looking at my reflection and that dog keeps barking at me and that scares me. And I'm just like, hey, that's something, isn't it? Now we know what it's like to be trapped on the inside, which is, you know, part of the whole covering of Tulip's reflection hating all the decisions that tulip has made because she doesn't get to she just has to live with the consequences of someone else's actions she has no autonomy yeah. um but again and this really just kind of goes back to the you know outside you want to go outside thing it just it it took too much time as far as i was concerned for not enough payoff that just sticks in my head of that part sucked and i did not enjoy it um however on the opposite side, one thing I really, really liked was the tapes. Oh, yes. The one thing that we didn't really talk too much about this, mainly because I don't want, didn't want to give it all away, but uh, these tapes... <laughs> well, considering that we're effectively at the end of our discussion, we may as well talk about it now, right? <sighs> kind of, because the tapes actually get more involved with other seasons. 
Well, sure, but it's a good idea to talk about them right now because I like them because, again, it really feeds into something that is... It's it's a trope when it comes when it comes to these types of stories. You have, you know, the the tempter or whatever who is showing you this is what your life could be and this is their way to lull you into a false sense of security and dominate you, right? Yes. This is their way of getting you to do their bidding in a way because you are they are um they're showing you what you want. They're giving you the candy instead of the medicine. Exactly. They're 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 cowing you in a way and lulling you into that false sense of security, right? This is Socrates' whole issue of why he hates democracy. <laughs> oh, because we give you the choice and therefore you will not actually use the choice because you don't understand what the choice means? No, no, no. It's the other way. Uh Democracy gives you a choice, right? And you're going to choose what you want, not what's yes, best for you. Yes, right, 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 right. Self-serving, right? Yes. I mean, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I I understand that. Um, but I also, at least I think it was Socrates. It could have been Plato, but I'm pretty sure it was Socrates. It it could have been one of those Greeks. It's all Greek to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe Latin. Probably Greek. Probably Greek. Uh, seeing as how those guys would have been long dead before the Romans were really a, a big name. Um, but the one of the other things that I, again, really like... In a way, this is actually something that I do like, that it is getting the focus in a lot of stories these days. Or I guess maybe in a lot of the media that I am consuming these days. A lot of times it always comes back to, this is what you want this is what you want, and then, um, you know, isn't this what you've always wanted? There's some comfort in getting what you want, and then the person realizing, yes, but I know it's not real. Part of me is always going to know that this is wrong and this isn't real, and lying to myself is not going to actually make me a better person or make me a stronger person. This is just going to keep me at a certain level, and I'm never going to progress. In fact, I might just regress and get worse, which, of course, is what they want, because then they can take over, and they can make you do what they want. Well, hearing this uh, reminds me of a show that we're definitely going to have to watch later on called Channel Zero. (laughs) But we'll get to that on another day. Okay. For now, we're going to wrap this up and uh, say... You know, if you still haven't seen it, please take some time, watch Infinity Train. It is a great series. Again, it kind of talks about the trope that we've been dealing with a lot here. But uh, Mental illness is not a trope. Mental illness is a fact of life at this it is, point. Yes. But, you know, it, it still does a really good job of portraying it and showing you things and maybe yep. making you ask questions that you never really knew or maybe never thought of. Mm-hmm. So... By all means, check it out. Uh, Until the next one, I'm Miles. And I'm Cam. And we'll see you next time. See you then.